good morning, evening, day, whatever. Uh, this is Just Human number 253. My audio is weird. I can't hear myself. There we go. Yeah, check, check. Okay. I, I need to hear myself in my ear. Um, this is something I like. All right, anyway. Uh, welcome. This, I think it's going to be our last installment in the Special Counsel Her Report. So this will be episode 253. And we have just a couple chapters left, and I would like to finish it so we can move on to some other topics and also so I can watch Formula One testing. <laughs> so uh, here we are. Let's let's do this. Let's do this. I'm excited. Go right here. First, if you're liking this, if you're enjoying these reports, uh, reading this report, I mean, in these episodes, please hit the thumbs up on Rumble. Give it a share. Make sure you're following me on these social media sites. Um, and if you want to do more than that, my support links are right here in my link tree. And they're also in the description of the show. Uh, there's buy me a coffee over here at ko-fi.com slash real just human. I very much appreciate the notes that you guys leave. And, uh, you know, y'all keeping my coffee cup full. I definitely need coffee to do this stuff. Um, <laughs> especially after last night being on eye of the storm, uh, only got a few hours sleep. Um, and I, I thought after I took my kid to school today or my kids that I would come home and just nap, uh, but I'm awake. So the coffee works. Thank you very much. I'm going to keep going. Benson honey farms. Love these guys. I got some Benson honey right here. Best honey in the world. I swear. If you use my affiliate link in the link tree or in the description of the show, uh, and you go over here and make some, some purchases on honey, barbecue sauce, candy, soap, whatever. They'll kick a few dollars my way. Um, food lake products, same deal. Use the affiliate link, get yourself some salsa, some seasonings, chili, whatnot, all natural ingredients. Absolutely delicious. I love these products and, um, I love, I love Mike. He's, he's a great guy. So, um, if you're interested, if you'd like to cook at home, you need to go over here and you need to order some stuff. Manly cans. If there's a manly man in your life or, you know, just a, a woman who likes snacks and gifts, lip boxes, no, or maybe she's manly. No judgment here. Um, go over here. Pick out a box. You can also customize it, you know. Uh, pick out any one of these and it'll offer a, uh, a customization link over here so you can add more stuff to it. And if you make a purchase, then they'll kick a few dollars my way. My merch store is here at redwhitebourbon45.com. Um, shirts and hoodies and stickers and hats and beer koozies and coolers and bar glasses, all that stuff. But the best item are the coffee mugs, for sure. High quality mugs that really do keep your beverage cold or keep your beverage warm. And they're 15 ounces. They're big mugs. So good stuff. And uh, yeah, that's it. Those are my support links. Thank you guys for that. And I just totally screwed up and closed out the her report like a pro. See, we're gonna do this right today. We're gonna do this. If we're gonna we're gonna go out with a bang, we're gonna be super pro. And uh, that's how it, that's how it's gonna roll. So of course, <laughs> I'll just close out this three hundred eighty eight page report. Uh, right as I needed it. I think we're on page three, 
It's close to 320. It's not quite 320. Yeah, it's not quite there. Here we are. It's uh, 312. That was it, 312. All right, so in the PDF, it's 316. I was close. Okay, let me get this set up. All right. Give me give me just a moment. Something else I need to set up over here. Why is it? There we go. Okay. All right. Chapter 15, classified documents found at the University of Delaware. In January, February, and June 2023, FBI agents identified and recovered just over a dozen marked classified documents in Mr. Biden's Senate-era papers housed at the University of Delaware. Almost all of these documents predate the Senate's establishment of rules for the tracking and handling of classified information. The evidence does not suggest that Mr. Biden willfully retained these documents. Rather, they appear to have been included in his large collection of Senate papers by mistake. Part 1. Facts. Part A. Mr. Biden donated hundreds of boxes of senatorial records to the University of Delaware Library. As a senator, Mr. Biden accumulated hundreds of bank bankers' boxes of records. During his time as vice president, his staff shipped these records on a rolling basis to the National Archives storage facility in Maryland, where they were stored for Mr. Biden as a courtesy. The Senate records consisted of his personal senatorial files, those of his staffers, and campaign materials. While the records were not supposed to include committee records, which belonged to the Senate, senator staff commonly intermingled committee documents with their senator's paper, personal papers. By the time Mr. Biden became vice president, the National Archives had over 2,000 boxes and 415 gigabytes of electronic data in courtesy storage for him. Within the first year of his vice presidency, Mr. Biden's staff began preparations to donate his senatorial papers to the University of Delaware. In spring 2011, Mr. Biden asked two of his former longtime Senate staffers to review his boxes in courtesy storage. These former staffers reviewed and cataloged the boxes and recommended to him which papers to donate. During the review, neither staffer expected to or did find any marked classified documents. In fall 2011, Mr. Biden formally agreed to donate his Senate papers and other records to the University of Delaware. Between 2012 and 2015, the university's Morris Library received over 2,000 boxes of Mr. Biden's uh, senatorial papers shipped from the National Archives, the Russell Senate Office Building, and Mr. Biden's Delaware home. Let's see, we got some big footnotes here, but I think they're just all citing a ceremonial agreement to gift. While the actual deed of gift was not fully executed until July 2016, 
Okay. No from sense out from the group. He has about two boxes of Senate material. All right. Upon their arrival at the University of Delaware, the boxes placed in a, were placed in a secure storage facility or st secure storage area, and the materials were reviewed over time by archivists and other university staff. Part B, Marked Classified Documents Discovery at the Morris Library. In fall 2014, the Morris Library hired an intern to organize Biden's Senate papers, separate out documents belonging to the Foreign Relations Committee, and refile the remainder. In late 2015 or early 2016, the intern discovered, among committee records, one document that was marked classified. She placed a sticky note on the document indicating the number of the box in which she found it and the fact it was marked secret. In February 2023, an archivist reviewed the box the intern had flagged, discovered the marked classified document within the box, secured the document in a vault, and reported it to the FBI. Agents retrieved the document that, that same day. The classified document is a two-page State Department cable from 1987 marked secret concerning the NATO alliance. A classification review by the State Department determined that the document was declassified in 2012. Okay, so they had one that, there was one in there that was marked classified, but it was declassed in 2012. All right. After this discovery, and with Mr. Biden's consent, in June 2023, the FBI searched the contents of approximately 105 boxes at the Morris Library, a subset of boxes that contained Senate Foreign Relations Committee materials. Two of those boxes contained the following five marked classified documents. One, a two-page letter to Richard Luger, Committee on Foreign Relations regarding Conventional Armed Forces in Europe Treaty, dated November 20th, 1991, marked secret. According to a classification review, this document is currently classified as secret. Two, a three-page document titled Summary of March 11th, 1977, Executive Meeting of Full Committee, dated March 11th, 1977, marked secret and class, quote, classified committee on foreign relations, United States Senate. A classification review of this document is pending. So remember, we learned earlier that the State Department is who is doing the review, not, not, not the National Security Council. That's who's re reviewing the status of these documents. So they haven't returned. As of the publication of the report, they have not said what the status of that is. Interesting. Okay. Three. Five-page document titled, quote, Mutual Balanced Force Reductions. MBFR, dated July 1977, and marked confidential. According to a classification review, this document is currently classified as confidential. Oh, I accidentally, okay, there we go. <laughs> I accidentally started my F1 replay over here on the side. I was watching testing as I was setting up the show, so I had it paused. <laughs> All right, uh, part four. Six-page staff memorandum titled, quote, National Security Interest in a Law of the Sea Treaty, March 6, 1979 hearings. In March 2, 1979, marked confidential, 
and quote, for committee use only. According to a classification review, this document is currently classified as confidential. Five, three page action memorandum from the Senate staffer three to nine senators, including Mr. Biden was subject, quote, proposed 1980 committee budget for discussion during meeting of Democrats in S201. Um, that's one of the Senate rooms at 2 p.m. Wednesday, January 23rd, dated January 23rd, 1980, marked confidential. The State Department did not provide a classification determination for this document. Part C, marked classified documents at the Biden Institute. One, storage of Mr. Biden's records at the Biden Institute. In addition to the thousands of boxes of Senate papers, Mr. Biden donated to the University of Delaware. There was a smaller collection of mostly Senate-era material that remained stored at the Russell Senate Office Building and the National Archives. During the Vice Presidency, Mr. Biden's former Senate staffers reviewed the material to help him decide what, if any, he might donate to the University of Delaware. Mr. Biden wanted to identify and keep materials that may be politically sensitive. Uh, okay, so speeches from both the Senate era and vice presidency, photographs, contact information, and personal and campaign materials. The staffers found no marked classified documents during this review. Several months after the vice presidency in July 2017, these materials, which filled about 263 boxes, were shipped to the Biden Institute. Yeah, that should, you know, that should really be a mental hospital, right? The Biden Institute. When I hear the Biden Institute, I think a a facility for the mentally handicapped. Uh, just saying, uh, or challenged, the mentally challenged. Biden Institute at the University of Delaware, a domestic policy think tank established in 2017. The Biden Institute was a space that Mr. Biden could use for free, where someone could continue to sort through the materials. Part two, Biden Institute reviews the boxes. In late 2018 or early 2019, the Biden Institute hired the daughter of one of Mr. Biden's personal attorneys as a part-time employee to review Mr. Biden's boxes. Over several months, she conducted what she described as a cursory review of the boxes and inventoried their contents. She did not alert anyone to the presence of classified information. Ooh. When interviewed, she said that she never saw any documents with classification marking. So if she's not lying, let's say if she's telling the truth, then she didn't do a good job going through these, right? She was not thorough. If she was thorough and did a good job, then she's lying. It's either or, right? Several others also reviewed these materials. Former Senator and Mr. Biden's Senate Chief of Staff Ted Kaufman reviewed several boxes in 2019 to determine whether they contained any of his own papers. Mr. Biden's sister, Valerie Biden Owens, also reviewed some of these boxes and recalled seeing speeches and schedules. One Institute staffer member, uh, staff member recalled looking in some of these boxes and seeing framed photogra photographs and GIFs. Part three, discovery of marked classified documents at the Biden Institute. After the discovery of classified information at the Penn Biden Center in November 2022, 
The Biden Institute's executive director notified Mr. Biden's personal counsel, Bob Bauer, that the Institute had done its own inventory of the boxes in its possession and believed that four contained VP speeches and transcripts. In January and February 2023, FBI agents searched all 263 boxes stored at the Institute and determined that one contained seven marked classified documents dated between November 1979 and June 1980. Mr. Biden's former Senate staffers had reviewed this box before it was sent to the Biden Institute and omitted it from the gift to the University of Delaware because the box contained campaign materials in 1978. So campaign materials were mixed in, or marked classified documents were mixed in with campaign materials. Now, I just want to pause for a moment, and this is kind of like an in, this is kind of an in cap thought on this entire report, but let's not miss the significance here of FBI agents searching all 263 boxes stored at this institute. They went through them page by page looking for any that were classified. But if they found anything else along the way, you know, kind of like a cop who has a dog. See, a lot of a lot of this reminds me of somebody getting pulled over and the cop saying, I detect the smell of marijuana. Would you mind if I search your car? And the driver is nervous and the driver's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I don't have anything in here. My friend, my friend smoked earlier. That must be what you're smelling, but I don't have anything in here. And then the cop searches the car and in the process of searching it, uh, he may find trace amounts of cannabis, not worth charging the person over. But he also notices indications of other criminality. And I feel like that is a little bit of what's going on here. And, you know, maybe that's just me being optimistic. Uh, but put in this context, think about it like this. If I told you three years ago that in January and February of 2023, FBI agents were going to search all of Biden's doc boxes at his home, at the Penn Biden Center, at the, uh, the University of Delaware, at the Biden Institute, that all of Biden's documents, thousands of boxes, all of it was going to be gone through page by page by law enforcement. That would be a huge white pill, right? And you would think, oh, shoot, he's caught. Um, and I think that's what's going on here. I think that this is about the predicate. The predi these classified documents are the predicate to get access to all of these things. And um, who knows what? her found along the way and what he may have passed on to special counsel Weiss or to someone else that we, whose name we don't know. We'll see. But that's how that line strikes me.
All right, two documents were marked secret and five documents were marked confidential. The two secret documents and one confidential document were found in a folder labeled Foreign Relations Committee. The other four confidential documents were in a folder labeled Europe. Below is a description of the documents recovered from the Biden Institute. One, three-page action memorandum from Senate Staffer 3 to nine senators, including Mr. Biden with the subject, quote, proposed 1980 committee budget for discussion during meeting of Democrats in S201 at 2 p.m. For discussion meeting, um, Democrats, blah, blah, blah. It is marked confidential. It doesn't say that it's still classified that way. It just says marked confidential. Two-page letter to Edmund S. Muskie, Secretary of State from Ted Kaufman and Senator Biden, dated June 4th, 1980, marked confidential. One-page action memorandum addressed to Senators Church, Pell, and Biden with the subject letter to Muskie uh, on consultations with allies on SALT and TNF, May 29th, 1980, marked confidential. One-page action memorandum addressed to Senator Biden. Looks like it's a reply to that previous one. It's marked confidential. Three-page letter from Edmund Mess Muskie, Secretary of State to Senators Church, Pell, and Biden. May 30th, 1980, marked confidential. A one-page action memorandum addressed to Senator Biden. Uh, let's see. Memo from Saffer 4. This is interesting and disturbing. The attached memo from Senator Staffer 4 on TNF modernization is both interesting and disturbing. Marked secret, dated November 28, 1979. Seven, two-page information memorandum addressed to Senate Staffer 3 from Senate Staffer 4 from November 26, 1979. Marked secret. For documents one through five, the State Department could not provide a classification level in response to our request, though it noted that, quote, the details contained in some of these documents appear to have been highly sensitive at the time that these documents were created and included information that appeared to originate at executive branch federal agencies. So CIA, DOJ, uh, DOD. According to the State Department, these documents may or may not still be sensitive today. The State Department was unable to render an opinion as to Document 6. The State Department could not provide a classification level for Document 7, but advised that certain pages of this document may be classified if they had been included in an executive branch document, as the legislative branch does not have the authority to classify documents. You know... If anybody's running cover for Biden, perhaps it's the State Department by actually saying we can't determine these things. Right? If anybody involved in the HER special counsel is running a cover-up operation, it's the State Department. All right. Number four, U.S. Senate rules on handling of classified information during the time frame of the recovered documents. The documents recovered at the University of Delaware all appear to have originated from Mr. Biden's service on the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. Mr. Biden served on the committee from 1975 to 2009, uh, way longer than he should have. He became ranking minority member in 1997 and chaired the committee in January 2001, from June 2001 to 2003, and again from 2007 to 2009. As a committee member, Mr. Biden had access to classified information relating to diplomatic nominees, treaties, and oversight responsibilities for the Department of State. 
In the mid to late 1980s, several factors led to growing concern within the Senate about the handling of classified information. Among other things, each Senate office handled classified information differently. Also, there was no central record-keeping system to track which Senate employees held a security clearance. What a massive oversight. As a result, then, or it was a feature, not a bug. As a result, then-minority leader Robert Dole, God bless him, described the Senate's handling of classified information as, quote, a disaster waiting to happen. Good on you, Bob. In response, in 1987, the Senate established the Office of Senate Security and charged it with protecting classified information in Senate offices and committees. The Office's Senate Security Manual established rules for the handling of classified information. Senators could not store top-secret or special access material in their personal offices. Information at lower classification levels could be stored in a senator's personal office, but only in an appropriate storage facility that the Office of Senate Security had certified. And senators could not remove classified information from approved spaces or take it home with them. In 1997, after all the documents recovered at the University of Delaware were created, the Office of Senate Security began tracking classified information using a computerized system. Under this system, which exists to this day, each copy of a classified document coming into the office is logged and given a unique physical barcode. The system catalogs each document with an unclassified title, subject, page count, document origin, document destination, and any code words. This way, if a classified document was found in an unauthorized location, the Office of Senate Security could identify the person who is responsible for that document. Part 2 Analysis Just a moment. Analysis. The evidence does not establish that Mr. Biden or anyone else knowingly removed or retained the classified documents found at the University of Delaware. These documents appear to have been included in his Senate papers by mistake. Again, think about Trump here. First, Mr. Biden depended on staffers to maintain his Senate files, organize and pack them transport them to the proper place of storage, and review them before they were sent to the University of Delaware. No evidence suggests he knew these classified documents were within... i got to add more Benson honey over here. <laughs> no evidence suggests he knew these classified documents were within his massive collection of Senate papers. Further, given the age of the documents, we found no evidence that Mr. Biden personally viewed any of, the, of them while he was a member of the Senate. Mr. Biden sat on the committee that generated these documents, but it is entirely plausible they were handled by a staff member um, and that Mr. Biden never handled the documents himself before they were filed among his papers. This, there is also no record of Mr. Biden's review of the documents before or after he donated them to the university. As a matter of historical context, there have been numerous previous incidents in which marked classified documents have been discovered intermixed with the personal papers of former executive branch officials and members of Congress. Interesting. So one another reason that 
you know, charging him would be difficult um, is that, you know, you have all these previous incidences where things have been innocently mixed. Um, I'm also thinking about how I'm th I'm thinking about how in the, the chapter we read about the Naval Observatory and the handling amongst his staff at the Naval Observatory, um, the way they handled classified documents and how that lady, was it Hogan or Hagen? Hogan. How she tried to get a handle on it and create a system for tracking all the classified stuff. And, um, you know, I... I don't think that Biden really made it a priority to be super secure about these things. He left it all up to his staff and, um, he, it, it, that seems to have been the case here with the Senate stuff. I mean, it's so easy to imagine, uh, based on what we've read in this report and for a jury to, uh, come to the conclusion that while things were mishandled, it wasn't willful criminality. It wasn't, excuse me, there wasn't any intention of taking it home so that we can sell it to a foreign adversary or anything like that. There's just no indication of that anywhere in here. It, it just seems like things literally being mishandled, um, which at worst, that's what seems to be going on in Trump's docs case is that things were misplaced, things were accidentally put into boxes um, here and there. And or the worst case is that Trump de declassified them. I mean, also he says he declassified some of these things, but you know, at the best case scenario with Trump is that it's all declassified, still declassified, and it was just uh, either intentionally taken or mistakenly taken to Mar-a-Lago, depending on which document it is. The worst case is that it was declassified and then reclassified by the Biden administration to create the crime. And it was mishandled um, by Trump's staff when they were packing up. But there's no scenario where it's like, oh, Trump took these things because he was going to sell them to a foreign adversary or something like they were really trying hard at the beginning to make it so sound like. Um, I can't, I, the whole time I've been reading this report, I just keep thinking about Trump's docs case and how a jury, a reasonable jury would understand what happened in Trump's docs case. Say it goes to trial, say that stuff is still classified. Um, these defenses that are, or these effective, effectively these defenses that her is coming up with for Biden work very well for Trump because the same is true of him. He didn't pack this stuff. The classified materials that came through the Oval Office were handled by staff members. Uh, they were responsible for storing it and uh, filing it away, securing it. Um, so, you know, and I think that part of what's going to happen here is that eventually, like, well, it has happened to some degree. Right now, media is in a phase of bl of being mad at Robert Hur and being mad at uh, Merrick Garland. But at some point, they get into a position where they're defending. Biden uh, and his handling of this stuff. And they're going to use excuses that are here. And it's the same scenario we've seen before where media and Democrats, Trump will manipulate them into coming up with a defense and get them on record providing that defense. And then later he uses it himself. And then they're caught because they've already made the arguments for him.
Second, before the Senate papers arrived at the university of uh, at the university, Mr. Biden asked two experienced off staffers to review them. The staffers knew to segregate documents that were appropriate for the Morris Library gift. They did not identify any classified documents within these materials. The staffers failed to do so, um, likely due in part to the small number of classified documents found within a large selection of Senate papers. They didn't want to go through all of Biden's crappy Senate papers. <laughs> Another possible reason. Um, sorry. <laughs> Another possible reason is that several of the documents use markings that do not clearly convey their classified nature. Some of the documents are marked confidential. While that is a valid marking for classified information, the term confidential is also used in other contexts not involving classified information. Senate staffers could have, under, could have understood these to be internal committee documents or simply sensitive documents created by authors who wanted to limit the number of people who viewed them. I think that's understandable in general, but um, it's kind of difficult to accept. Third, the classified documents were found in collection of papers Mr. Biden had either already donated or planned to donate after his staff removed personal and political materials. This suggests neither he nor his staff knew about or wanted to keep the small number of classified documents later found there. Finally, none of these decades-old documents contain information so obviously sensitive that a jury would find it compelling enough to convict a former president and vice president of mishandling classified information. For these reasons, it is likely that the few classified documents found in Biden's Senate papers were there by mistake. The documents found at the University of Delaware are not a basis for criminal charges. I have to, I mean, I think that we can all agree with that. From what we know, I think we can all agree with that, but I don't really think it was the purpose of going there. The purpose of going there was to rifle through all 263 boxes. Chap and, and to create defenses for Trump. All right, chapter 16. Other classified documents found in Mr. Biden's Delaware home. One, marked classified documents and notebooks. As discussed in chapter two and four, three notebooks found in Mr. Biden's Delaware home had classified documents placed inside them. One of these notebooks labeled AFPAC-1 is discussed in chapter six. For the, for the other two, the evidence does not suggest either that Mr. Biden retained the classified documents inside them willfully or that the documents contain national defense information. Thus, these documents do not warrant criminal charges. Part A, documents found within notebook labeled 1612, number two, foreign policy. The notebook labeled 1612, so January 6, 2012, number two, foreign policy. Recovered from Mr. Biden's basement den contained two marked classified documents. One was three pages of what appeared to be PowerPoint slides, each of which was marked secret, no foreign pre-decisional. The slides are dated May 22, 2013, and discuss various options for U.S. troop levels in Afghanistan after 2014. The notebook contains a corresponding handwritten entry dated May 24, 2013, when Mr. Biden took notes during a National Security Council meeting that he attended through a secure video teleconference from his Delaware home. 
While we do not know exactly where inside the notebook the classified PowerPoint slides were located, because the slides were found by a member of the White House Counsel's Office rather than the FBI, so chain of custody is messed up there, it is likely that Mr. Biden had the slides at his home during the National Security Council meeting, then placed the slides in the notebook after the meeting, where they remained until discovered in 2023. The second marked classified document in the notebook was a briefing memorandum for Mr. Biden from his National Security Affairs team dated November 1st, 2013, and marked top secret, sensitive compartmented information. The memorandum briefed Mr. Biden in advance of a meeting with the Prime Minister of Iraq. The document corresponds to an entry in the notebook where Mr. Biden made handwritten entries about the Prime Minister's visit, indicating that Mr. Biden placed the memorandum in his notebook during or soon after that event. For both marked classified documents found in this notebook, we investigated whether Mr. Biden had reason to keep the documents, including by interviewing Mr. Biden and relevant staff members, reviewing Mr. Biden's notebook entries, and examining the public record. The evidence does not suggest that he intended to keep these documents, and it is possible he put them in his notebook after meetings and forgot about them. While one of the documents concerned troop levels in Afghanistan as of 2013, an issue that remained of great interest to Mr. Biden, because it was a single document from years after the Afghanistan 2009 policy review, it is plausible that Mr. Biden left it in the notebook by mistake rather than storing it there intentionally. We investigated whether Mr. Biden encountered these classified documents in his notebook after the vice presidency, but we did not find evidence that he did. There is no evidence he used this notebook when writing Promise Me Dad, and the classified documents were not relevant to the book, nor and were not referenced in Mr. Biden's recorded conversations with Zwanitzer. While it is natural to assume Mr. Biden may have reviewed this notebook at some point after leaving office and found the classified documents inside, we did not find evidence to establish this. B. Notebook Label Daily Memo Mr. Biden's notebook labeled Daily Memo, which agents found in his office library on the main floor of his Delaware home, contained one page of a PowerPoint slide marked Secret No Foreign about national security priorities for the second term of the Obama administration. The slide's subject matter suggests it may have been distributed at or in preparation for a National Security Council meeting. While the intelligence community has informed us that this document is properly marked, it does not appear to us to contain national defense information. The investigation also did not reveal evidence that Mr. Biden intentionally kept the document after the Obama administration, or that he knew the document was in his home. For each of the marked classified documents found in Mr. Biden's notebooks, we cannot prove that Mr. Biden knew about or intended to keep the document after he was vice president, or we cannot prove the document contains national defense information, or both. These documents do not support criminal charges against Mr. Biden. Part two, weekend with Charlie Rose binders. <laughs> Charlie Rose. During their search of Mr. Biden's Delaware home in December 2022 and January 2023, FBI agents found two nearly identical binders containing marked classified documents, one in a box in the garage and the other in a paper bag in the office next to Mr. Biden's primary bedroom. 
Hmm. The evidence does not show that Mr. Biden knew the classified documents were in his home, and it is plausible that they were stored there by mistake. Mr. Biden's staff assembled the binders to prepare him for an event in September 2014 entitled Weekend with Charlie Rose in Aspen, Colorado. He flew to Aspen on Friday, September 19, 2014, and back to Delaware the next day. The guest list included leaders in government and business. And business. The binder included materials on foreign policy topics to prepare Mr. Biden for an interview with Charlie Rose on September 20, 2014. A staff member who compiled the binder emailed his colleagues proposing its contents, stating that one document would be classified and another might be. The recovered binder's contents generally track this email. The marked classified document in the binders include the following. One, an event memo marked secret from the National Security Affairs Advisor preparing Mr. Biden for a lunch on September 17, 2014 at the Naval Observatory with a foreign leader. This memo was in both the binder in the garage as a two-page document and the binder in the upstairs office as a three-page document. A 10-page document labeled in part background, marked secret no foreign, which appears to be an attachment to the event memo referenced immediately above. This document also was in both recovered binders. A five-page document titled in part, quote, Scene Setter for National Security Advisor Susan Rice. It lacks classified headers or footers, but does have a portion, um, does have portion markings indicating it contains secret information. This document was in both binders and corresponds to the staffer's email describing one paper as potentially classified. Mr. Biden's staff appear to have mislabeled one of the binders as unclassified despite its classified contents. The binder found in the garage had a cover page with the words unclassified document in all capital letters, while the binder from the second floor bedroom office had no cover page. We have an image of it here. In one of the boxes recovered by the National Archives from the Penn Biden Center was a copy of one unclassified document that was in both of these binders. The dinner seating chart in a, lab in a folder labeled Aspen, Colorado. This folder at the Penn Biden Center contained no marked classified documents. In searching the contents of the box in the garage where they found one of the Weekend with Charlie Rose binders, agents found binders from other trips Mr. Biden took as vice president in the same box. I lost my place. Sorry. A Naval enlisted aide recalled that Mr. Biden kept such binders after returning from his trips. Within the paper bag in the upstairs office adjoining uh, Mr. Biden's primary bedroom, where agents found the other Weekend with Charlie Rose binder, they also found personal documents that predate January 2017 when Mr. Biden left the vice presidency. We could not determine when or how the bag and the binder within it containing marked classified documents arrived at the location where the agents found it in January 2023. 
These facts do not support a conclusion that Mr. Biden willfully retained the marked classified documents in these binders. The cover of one binder was marked unclassified. The other had no classification markings, and we cannot show that Mr. Biden reviewed the binders after his vice presidency or knew the classified documents were inside. It is plausible that he retained these documents by mistake. Part three, marked classified documents. FBI agents found one document with classification markings in the third level den area. Agents found the document inside a blue file folder with the handwriting or the handwritten label amputations, February 11th, which was in a pile of miscellaneous materials on the bottom shelf of a bookcase. The document was marked secret, no foreign and related to events in Egypt. The document sub this document subject matter does not relate to the label on the folder or the documents surrounding it. We cannot show that Mr. Biden knew this document was in his home and the location of this document with unrelated materials makes it plausible that it was filed in error and that Mr. Biden kept this document on mistake. This same thing can be true of Trump. How can Jack Smith prove that Trump knew a certain document was in Mar-a-Lago and that he was aware of it and refused to return it, that he willfully retained it. How can he prove that? And we know that some of the stuff found in Mar-a-Lago was packed away next to all sorts of memorabilia and personal items and photos and letters and uh, gifts and all. It's just like this case. So these same excuses apply to Trump. Chapter 17, Deletion of Audio Recording by Mark Zwanitzer. Which, we have a similar thing in the Doc's case, where Jack Smith is alleging that Trump instructed uh, De Oliveira and the other guy to go and delete uh, video footage, which they did not do, and Trump did not ask him to do. That's the allegation, and it's just like this right here. All right. At some point after learning of special counsel's her, special counsel her's appointment, Mr. Biden's ghostwriter, Mark Swanitzer, deleted digital audio recordings of his conversations with Mr. Biden during the writing of the book, Promise Me Dad. The recordings had significant evidentiary value. But... Zwanitzer turned over his laptop computer and external hard drive and gave consent for investigators to search the devices. As a result, FBI technicians were able to recover deleted recordings relating to Promise Me Dad. Zwanitzer kept and did not delete or attempt to delete near verbatim transcripts he made of some of the recordings. He also produced those detailed notes to investigators. So, well, I'll let Special Counsel Her argue it. After reviewing available facts, analyzing governing law, and considering the principles of federal prosecution, we declined to bring charges against Wadzinser related to his deletion of the audio recordings. 
Charges against Wanitzer are not appropriate, both because the available evidence is insufficient to obtain and sustain a conviction, and because even if the evidence were sufficient, the principles of federal prosecution do not support any charge in these circumstances. Factual background. FBI agents contacted Zwanitzer to request an interview and to seek records related to his work ghostwriting two of Mr. Biden's memoirs, Promise Me Dad and Promises to Keep. Zwanitzer provided investigators records that included near verbatim transcripts and some audio recordings. When reviewing these materials, investigators noticed that there were some transcripts for which there was no corresponding audio recording. They then learned from Zwanitzer's attorneys that before the FBI contacted Zwanitzer, he deleted the recordings of his conversations with Mr. Biden. Zwanitzer then provided all electronic devices that contained or were used to create the recordings and transcripts related to Promise Me Dad. Zwanitzer stated that at some point he deleted the audio file subfolder from his laptop and external hard drive. No relevant deleted files were recovered from the laptop. Deleted audio files were recovered from a subfolder on the external hard drive uh, labeled audio. Based on the available evidence from the forensic review, we assess that all deleted audio files were recovered from that subfolder. For three of the recovered files, portions of the audio appeared to be missing, and a fourth file appeared to have portions overwritten with a separate recording. These results are possible when forensic tools are used to recover deleted files. For each of these four incomplete or overwritten files, Swanitzer produced his corresponding transcript to investigators. These notes summarize the content of the conversations, two of which were with Mr. Biden and two of which were with Bo Biden's doctor. After producing the materials to investigators, Swanitzer gave two consensual interviews during which he provided relevant information about seeking immunity or any protections or assurances, such as a proffer agreement. Swanitzer was forthright that he had deleted the recordings. In his words, quote, I simply took the audio file subfolder from both the G drive and my laptop and slid them into the trash. I saved all the transcripts. Swanitzer believed he did this at some point during the period between the end of January 2023 in the end of February 2023. He took this action before the FBI contacted him and about, about the investigation and requested that he produce evidence. Swanitzer explained that at the time he did so, he was, quote, aware of the Department of Justice investigation of Mr. Bynes' potential of mishandling classified materials. As for why he deleted the audio recordings, Swanitzer gave the following reasons. First, as a practice, while he saved transcripts of recorded conversations indefinitely, he deleted audio recordings after completing a written work to protect his interviewee's privacy. Swanitzer explained that he did not have an established practice as to when he deleted audio recordings, whether he would do so at convenient points in time, such as when he moved to a new residence or when he happened to notice that he still had audio recordings from past interviews. Next, Zwanitzer had received vague but threatening emails from groups hostile to Mr. Biden and private conversations that included Zwanitzer had been published on the internet. 
Accordingly, Zwanitzer was concerned that his computer could be hacked and the audio recordings of his conversations with Mr. Biden published online. Those recordings contained personal information, including Mr. Biden's reflections on the death of his son, Beau. In January 2023, Zwanitzer had finished working on a book about the capabilities of a cyber surveillance system called Pegasus. Oh, we've heard of that. Zwanitzer stated that he had a, quote, heightened sense of awareness of the capabilities of Pegasus which he described as the most frightful cyber surveillance tool on the market out there right now. The book discussed how Pegasus was used to spy on people around the world, including heads of state, diplomats, and journalists. The Pegasus tool could be used to capture all videos, photos, emails, texts, and passwords, encrypted or not. Investigators asked Wanitzer if he had deleted the recordings because of the special counsel's investigation. Swanitzer replied that he, quote, was aware that there was an investigation when he deleted the recordings and continued, quote, I'm not going to say how much of the percentage it was of my motivation. Okay, so we know it was 90%, at least. When asked whether he deleted the recordings to try and prevent investigators from obtaining them, Swanitzer said that he did not and further explained, quote, when I got the subpoena and when I realized that I still had audio, that I did not know I had on the laptop, I made sure to preserve that for this investigation. Zwanitzer also explained that at the time he deleted the recordings, he did not expect the investigation to involve him, and that he did not think the audio recordings contained information relevant to the classified information. According to Zwanitzer, he decided to delete the recordings on his own. No one told him to do so. Nor had he been in contact with anyone from Biden's circle or staff of staff of friends of circle of staff, friends, and confidants about the, his participation in an interview with the special counsel's office. Our investigation, which included witness interviews and review of phone and email records, did not uncover any evidence that Zwanitzer had been in contact with anyone about his decision to delete the recordings. Part 2. The evidence is insufficient to obtain a conviction for obstruction of justice. A. Legal standard. The two relevant statutory provisions that criminalize the destruction of evidence are 18 U.S.C. 1512c1 and 18 U.S.C. 1519. While in practice, the proof needed to sustain a conviction under either statute is often very similar, the two provisions differ in their elements. Section 1512c1, like most federal obstruction statutes, requires proof of a nexus or link to a specified pending or foreseeable official proceeding. What constitutes an official proceeding is enumerated in a statutory list and includes proceedings before one, a federal judge or federal court, two, a federal grand jury, or three, the United States Congress. Section 1512C1 also requires proof that the defendant acted corruptly. That's come up with Trump's charges. That's the obstruction charge right there that is against Trump. Another parallel to this case and Trump's doc's case. Another one. Actually, it's not Trump's doc's case. It's uh, the January 6th case. And while courts have given slightly different definitions to that term, it generally requires proof that the defendant acted with the purpose of wrongfully impeding the due administration of justice under any formulation corruptly is heightened mens rea. So heightened state of mind.
By contrast, Section 1519 permits prosecutions in broader circumstances. For a Section 1519 prosecution, the government need not show a link to a specified proceeding. It need only show the commission of an obstructive act with the intent to impede, obstruct, or influence an investigation that is within the federal government's jurisdiction. Additionally, Section 1519 does not require proof of corrupt intent and instead requires proving that the defendant acted knowingly with the intent to impede, obstruct, or influence. While a defendant must commit the obstructed act knowingly, the defendant does not need to know whether the investigation he intends to obstruct falls under the jurisdiction of the federal government. Thus, Section 1519 criminalizes 1. Knowingly 2. Altering, falsifying, destroying, mutilating, concealing, covering up, or making a false entry in any record, document, or tangible object with the intent to impede, obstruct, or influence the investigation or the proper administration of any matter within the jurisdiction of a, de- of a department or agency of the United States. Given that Section 1519 is less burdensome because it does not require proving a nexus requirement or a corrupt intent, we evaluated Zwanitzer's conduct under that provision. A prosecution under Section 1512C1 would fail for the same reasons. B. The evidence does not support a charge under Section 1519. Zwanitzer admitted in a consensual recorded interview, quote, I simply took the audio file folders from both the external hard drive and my laptop and slid them into the trash. Therefore, Zwanitzer knowingly deleted audio files. But the available evidence cannot establish beyond a reasonable doubt that Zwanitzer did so with the intent to impede, obstruct, or influence his federal investigation. Or this federal investigation. In his interviews, Sorry, I keep looking over to another screen. In his interviews, Zwanitzer offered plausible, innocent reasons for why he deleted the recordings. First, out of concern for privacy, he had a practice of deleting all audio recordings of interviewees in his possession and had done so previously. Second, Zwanitzer was concerned that the materials could be hacked and published online. This concern was increased by his recent work on a book discussing a powerful cyber surveillance system known to target journalists, among other groups. While Zwanitzer admitted to being aware of the special counsel's investigation, he did not say that his goal was to keep evidence from being uncovered by that investigation. Instead, Zwanitzer explained that, quote, when I got the subpoena and when I realized that I still had audio that I did not know I had on the laptop, I made sure to preserve that for this investigation. Zwanitzer's later actions, including the production of this, to the special counsel of transcripts that mention classified information, suggest that his decision to delete the recordings was not aimed at concealing those materials from investigators. Yeah, I have to agree with that. I have to agree with that. Significantly, Zwanitzer voluntarily consented to two interviews and could have, but did not, invoke the Fifth Amendment to decline to produce the transcripts, his laptop, and the external hard drive. See, actions speak louder. Those actions... uh, make the difference. And when FBI agents contacted Zwanitzer, they were unaware that audio recordings existed or where Zwanitzer's electronic devices were located. 
Therefore, agents did not have probable cause for a warrant to search those devices and recover the recording. See, he actually didn't have to do it. Investigators only learned of the evidence because Bonitzer was forthright, explained his actions, produced the relevant electronic devices, and consented to the search of those devices. Bonitzer's own consensual statement is the only evidence of when he deleted the recordings. Without it, investigators would not have learned whether he did so before or after learning of the special counsel's appointment and federal criminal investigation. And while Zwanitzer admitted to being aware of the investigation at the time he deleted the files, the context in which his statement was made during a consensual and voluntary interview supports the conclusion that Zwanitzer acted with good faith and did not intend to impede, obstruct, or influence this investigation. Perhaps most significantly, Zwanitzer preserved verbatim transcripts that contain incriminating information about Mr. Biden, including transcripts of the February 16, 2017 conversation, where Mr. Biden said he, quote, just found all the classified stuff downstairs. Preserving these transcripts was inconsistent with a motive aimed at impeding the investigation. While there is unique evidentiary value in a subject's own voice as captured on an audio recording, we would expect a person intending to obstruct justice to also conceal or delete the notes that memorialize the same probative information. But Inter could have just as easily slid the files containing the notes into the trash as he had done with the audio recordings. Instead, he preserved the transcripts and produced them to investigators. And he later produced the devices on which the recordings have been stored and consented to a search of those devices. None of this is consistent with intent to obstruct justice or an inve the investigation. For these reasons, we believe that the admissible evidence would not suffice to obtain and sustain a conviction of Mark Zwanitzer for obstruction of justice. Part 3. Declination is also appropriate because, on balance, relevant aggravating and mitigating factors do not support Zwanitzer's prosecution. Even if the evidence available were sufficient to obtain and sustain Zwanitzer's conviction for obstruction of justice, we would decline prosecution because, on balance, relevant aggravating and mitigating factors do not support his prosecution. Zwanitzer will willingly provide significant cooperation to the investigation without seeking or receiving any protections or assurances. He was forthright in describing his conduct and working with investigators to obtain all relevant evidence in his possession. And his cooperation was uniquely valuable as the evidence that he provided was highly probative and not otherwise obtainable. Finally, prosecuting Zwanitzer under these circumstances would deter others from cooperating as he did. Conclusion, for the foregoing reasons, we conclude that no criminal charges are warranted in this matter. And that's it. Now we have this appendix here, which I'm not going to read this, these spreadsheets, but the final pages of this document are the spreadsheet going over the recovered documents. I am going to read the White House letter at the end. Go find it. Okay. Yeah. It's this right here. So this is the white what the White House had to say. 
Dear Special Counsel Her and Deputy Special Counsel Crickbaum, We are pleased to see that after more than a year of investigating, you have determined that no criminal charges are warranted in this matter. Though we wholeheartedly agree with your conclusion, we are taking this opportunity pursuant to our agreement to address specific issues that we have identified in this report. We do so in the interest, which we believe that this Office of Special Counsel shares, of a final report that is both accurate and consistent with Department of Justice policy and practice. We have been selective in the choice of issues for your consideration. We believe that each one presented below merits your careful review before finalizing your report. One, we do not believe that the report's treatment of President Biden's memory is accurate or appropriate. The report uses highly prejudicial language to describe a commonplace occurrence among witnesses, a lack of recall of years old events. Such comments have no place in a Department of Justice report, particularly one that in the first paragraph announces that no charges are warranted, and that the evidence does not establish Mr. Bynes' guilt. If the evidence does not establish guilt, then discussing the jury impact of President Bynes' hypothetical testimony at a trial that will never occur is entirely superfluous. In fact, there is ample evidence from your interview that the president did well in answer your, answering your questions about years-old events over the course of five hours. This is especially true under the circumstances, which you do not mention in your report, that his interview began the day after the October 7th attacks on Israel. In the lead-up to the interview, the president was conducting calls with heads of state, cabinet members, members of Congress, and meeting repeatedly with his national security team. The special counsel recognized the extraordinary juxtaposition of these events when he thanked the president for being here and making this time for us given that there was a lot of other things in the world going on that demand your attention. Subsequently, far from being hazy, the president proceeded to provide often detailed recollections across a wide range of questions, from staff management of paper flow in the West Wing to the events surrounding the creation of the 2009 memorandum on the Afghanistan surge. He engaged at length in, on theories you offered about the way materials were packed and moved during the transition out of the vice presidency and between residences. He pointed to flaws in the assumptions behind specific lines of questions for questioning. At the outset of the interview, you recognized that the questions you plan to ask, quote, relate to events that happened years ago, but nonetheless expressed your hope that the president would put forth his best efforts and really try to get his best recollection in response to the questions we asked. It is hardly fair to concede that the president would be asked about these events, uh, about events in the past, press him, give his best recollections, and then fault him for his limited memory. The president's inability to recall dates or details of events that happened years ago is neither surprising nor unusual, especially given that many questions asked him, uh, ask, asked him to recall the particulars of staff work to pack, ship, and store materials and furniture in the course of moves between residences. The same predictable memory loss occurred with other witnesses in this investigation. Yet, unlike your treatment of President Biden, your report accepts other witnesses' memory loss as completely understandable given the passage of time. For example, you accepted without denigrating John McGrail's failure to remember certain events while he served as then-Vice President Biden's counsel. 
quote, McGrell's memory of these events could well have faded over the course of more than six years. So too, you accept the memory lapse of one of the, of the president's personal lawyers who testified that in his initial search of the Penn Biden Center, certain boxes were stored in a locked closet, noting only that his memory was fuzzy on that point. And the events on which you found the lawyer's memory to be fuzzy occurred only a few months before this interview. Your treatment of President Biden stands in marked contrast to the lack of pejorative comments about other individuals. It is also in contrast to your own description of the president's responses on other subjects as, quote, clear, forceful testimony that would be compelling to a jury. Not only do you treat the president differently from other witnesses when discussing his limited recall of certain years ago events, but you also do so on occasions in prejudicial and inflammatory terms. You refer to President Biden's memory on at least nine occasions, a number that is itself gratuitous. But even after among those nine instances, but even among those nine instances, your report varies. It is one thing to observe President Biden's memory as being, quote, significantly limited on certain subjects. It is quite another to use the more sweeping and highly prejudicial language employed later in the report. This language is not supported by the facts, nor is it appropriately used by a federal prosecutor in this context. We request that you revisit your descriptions of President Biden's memory and revise them so that they are stated in a manner that is within the bounds of your expertise and remit. Obviously, her didn't go along with that. Two, your report criticizes Mr. Biden's decision quote, to keep his notebooks at home in unlocked and unauthorized containers is totally irresponsible. Applying to him the same criticism in the same words he had directed at former President Trump for keeping marked classified documents. That's intentional. Setting aside the significant difference of law and facts between the two cases, which the report recognizes, this kind of criticism of an uncharged party violates long-standing department practice and protocol. See Office of the Inspector General, U.S. Department of Justice, a review of various actions by FBI and DOJ in advance of the 2016 election, June 2018. Finding that former FBI Director James Comey violated, so this is the Horowitz report, uh, violated his practice and protocol when criticizing as extremely careless former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton's use of unclassified systems to transmit classified material. Using President Biden's own words do not does not make the criticism compliant with department practice. Three, in an audio recording with Mr. Zwanitzer, the president said, quote, I just found all the classified stuff downstairs. I wrote the president a handwritten 40-page memorandum arguing against deploying additional troops to Afghanistan on the grounds that it would not matter. Yet your report appears to conclude that the president was referring to marked classified Afghanistan documents rather than the precise document referred to in the actual recording, the president's handwritten letter to President Obama about Afghanistan, which the president viewed as a sensitive and private communication. Indeed, the president testified in his interview that although he didn't remember the comment to Mr. Zwanitzer, the, quote, only thing that I can remember or I can think of was this handwritten letter to President Obama. We believe that an accurate recitation um, or recitation of the evidence on this point would recognize the strong likelihood 
that the president was referring in the recording to his private handwritten letter to President Obama, the one mentioned on his recording immediately after the eight words that you are focused on, rather than the marked classified document uh, discovered in the Wilmington garage. Just a moment. Uh. Four, your report erroneously and repeatedly makes statements about the value of marked classified Afghanistan documents to President Biden, such as President Biden had a strong motive to keep them and they were an irreplaceable contemporaneous record, like the notebooks. These statements are contrary to the evidence and the documents themselves. First, the president forcefully testified that he never thought about writing a book about the 2009 Afghanistan policy review. Thus, the president had no need to retain the documents for that purpose. Second, the 2009 Afghanistan policy review was one of the most widely covered foreign policy decisions in history, documented in near real time by public releases of government documents, leaks to newspapers, and publications by writers, <laughs> disinformationists, like Bob Woodward. The idea that the president needed to keep any classified documents related to these events, let alone the particular ones found in his garage, is implausible. This is particularly true given the documents at, at issue primarily consist of drafts, duplicates, and a disorganized and incomplete assortment of briefing materials and presentations. I wonder that right there might describe everything Trump has. All the documents at issue in his case might be well described exactly in that manner. Nothing remotely resembling a consciously selected set of documents kept for historical value. Put a pin in that. This right here. Need to remember that for Trump's docs case. Indeed, your report acknowledges that certain important documents are not in the folders including documents that, if President Biden had sought to keep documents for his history's sake, which he did not, one would expect to be included. However, your report fails to describe the haphazard and essentially random nature of the documents discovered. We believe that a fair and more accurate recitation of the evidence on this point would include a description of the documents that makes clear they do not appear to have been intentionally selected for retention. Five, your characterization of the box in the garage as containing only matters of great personal significance to president to the president is inconsistent with the facts. The evidence shows that it, this tattered box contained a random assortment of documents, including plainly unimportant ones, such as a short-term vacation lease, a VP era memorandum on furniture at the Naval Observatory for purchase, talking points from speeches, campaign material, empty folders, a 1995 document commemorating Syracuse's law, Syracuse law's 100-year anniversary, and other random materials. In his interview, President Biden commented regarding one of the folders, which read, Pete Rouse, Christ that goes back away, confirming that he had not encountered that material in recent years. Oh, I'm not sure that that doesn't confirm that.
That doesn't, that doesn't make sense. When asked how things like a binder labeled Bo, Iowa, got into the beat-up box, the president responded, quote, somebody must have, packing this up, just picked up all the stuff and put it in a box because I didn't. Sounds like something Trump would say. When asked about the later dated material, the president responded, quote, see, that's what makes me think just makes me think just people gathered up whatever they found and whenever the last thing was being moved. So the stuff moving out of the vice president's residence at the end of the day, whatever they found, they put, they didn't separate it out, you know, speakers, bureau and pen, um, or whatever the hell it is or bow. They just put it in a single box. That's the only thing I can think of. Some of the documents in the box contained, contained what appears to be staff handwriting including a DC tax return and a W-2, further indicating that the box was likely filled by staff. We believe that an accurate recitation of the evidence on this point would include a description of these facts. Six, in the course of his recorded conversations with his writing assistant, the president makes a comment, quote, they didn't even know I have these. Your report repeatedly cites that comment. And from these six words, ask the reader to conclude that President Biden was, quote, distinguishing between his note cards, which his staff was in the process of implementing protocols to safeguard, and his notebooks, which they didn't even know I have. The president's comment does not support this unfounded conclusion. It is unclear who the president was referring to as they or what he was referring to as these, let alone that he was somehow distinguished distinguishing between his note cards and his notebooks. We believe the report should not make such unsupported assumptions or leave the erroneous impression that the fact of the president, President Biden's notebooks was unknown when the report itself shows that it was well known and even documented in photographs. Seven, there are a number of inaccuracies and misleading statements that could be corrected with minor changes. Quote, we considered the possibility that Mr. Biden alerted his counsel that classified documents were in the garage, but our investigation revealed no evidence of such a discussion because if it happened, it would be protected by the attorney-client privilege. In fact, your investigation revealed no evidence of such a discussion because it did not happen, not because of any privilege. The president testified he was unaware that there were any classified documents in his possession. You did not ask him in his interview or in additional written questions if he had alerted his counsel about classified documents. If you had, he would have forcefully told you that he did not. The report states that the president, that President Biden's book, Promise Me Dad, quote, is not known to contain classified information. The book does not contain classified information, and there has never been any suggestion to the contrary. Quote, while it is natural to assume that JRB put the documents in the box on purpose and they knew they were there, in fact, there was a shortage of evidence on these points, end quote. We do not understand the basis for claiming this is a natural assumption. I mean, I kind of do, but okay. In connection with his discussion of the Reagan diaries, the report states that the special counsel's office, quote, viewed the materials that were deemed to be classified at the top secret SCI level from the Reagan diaries, citing a December 1st, 2023 production from the National Security Council. This is not accurate. As was stated in the production letter, you viewed uh, only a sample of such material. We offered to make the, the full volume available for your review. 
The report claims that the archive staff asked to see President Biden's notes from one of his visits to the archives in 2017, citing an earlier chapter. But such a proposition is not made in the earlier chapter, leaving us to raise the question of whether it's accurate. So there's, that's a, that's, there's a mistake there. The header on page 333 refers to the discovery of a document in President Biden's home in the second floor office, but the text asserts that the document was found in the third floor den. So that's inaccurate. All right, we respectfully request your close attention to these issues. Signed, Richard Sauber and Bob Bauer. And that's it. That's it. Congratulations, everyone. We have finished the special counsel HERS report. And uh, personally, I like, I love it. I love it. And um, while everybody else, or while most people, are reacting to it and, um, you know, blackpilling and dooming and crying and whinging. The Brits say whinging a lot. I like that term whinging. Um, you know, those of us who actually read the report have found a way to understand it instead of react to it. And, uh, we have a better grasp of what it, its significance actually is. Don't we? And from that, we can make our own decisions about it and draw our own conclusions about it because we did the research. We went to the source material. Uh, and that's what it's all about. So thank you guys for being, uh, for being part of this and for listening and sharing and liking the show and clicking my support links and all those things. Very much appreciate it. And I look forward to um, next doing a Seth Rich update going over the Alexander Smirnov indictment and getting back to Trump's cases. There's so much going on. And uh, I'm going to take a quick break, watch some Formula One, and uh, and then get right back into making these videos. You know, I've been doing these as a record, uh, recorded sessions and then uploading them. And um, that's working really well for me. I do like being live and inter engaging with chat but it's working out really well for me to be able to record when I can. And then when the opportunity um, arrives for me, or I can arrange for the opportunity to record and then upload it at a scheduled time. And um, that's something I've talked about doing for a while that um, uh, both privately and publicly here and there, but mostly privately I've talked about wanting to get into a practice of recording and then uploading something and making going live a bit more rare. And as you guys can tell over, over the course of this report, me using that method has allowed me to create a lot more content. So, um, I'm going to keep doing that. And, uh, it doesn't mean I won't ever go live, um, and do the show live. It doesn't mean that, that, but, um, you know, maybe that becomes a Friday thing or that becomes, um, you know, I'll just announce that I'm going to be able to do this one live. So, uh, but doing, doing pre-records and then releasing them is allowing me to create more content and, uh, which is the, is the goal. It's allowing me to do more stuff. So, um, thank you guys very much. Really appreciate y'all. God bless. Remember, we're not going to win every battle, 
that we are going to win this war. And I think the special counsel, her report is a massive, massive win. Uh, it'll take a while for people to realize that though. Uh, maybe not us, but for most people, it's going to take them a while to realize that. Have a great day.